Lonnie Diane Rich. And I'm Dr. Kelly Jones. And this is Big. Strong. Yes. Welcome to Big Strong Yes, the show where we embrace courage, creativity, and the call to adventure by reading books and talking about them. Rising Strong by Dr. Brene Brown, Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert, and Year of Yes by Shonda Rhimes. We are most active on Twitter, so follow hashtag Big Strong Yes for announcements and discussion. Follow Lonnie at Lonnie Diane Rich and me at Dr. Kelly Jones. You can also email us at bsy at trippers.com. Yes, for those of you who don't want to share everything publicly, (laughs) don't want to tweet about how your, you know, entire sense of yourself and your emotions are all falling apart, then you can send that to us. Because we will understand. (laughs) If you are a Patreon supporter, we have a big, strong, yes, chat room on Discord where we both hang out, answer questions, give support. Um, It's a little more intimate than, you know, Twitter. Um, It's private to just Patreon supporters who decide to go into that room. Um, And you can go over 140 characters. There's almost always at least somebody online everybody's from all around the world so everybody has different schedules and there's almost always somebody online so it's a great way to kind of just go in and and talk about the things that you're processing through this experience which has been kind of intense (laughs) just a little crazy just a little (laughs) little. all right so join us at patreon.com slash chipperish and we want to thank everyone for the support you're giving the show um, and for participating with us online. Your tweets and graphics and comments and reviews mean so much to us. And if you enjoy Big Strong Yes, please give us a review on iTunes because this is the best way to help us promote the show and help new listeners find the show. Yeah, it's, it is a fantastic way. So for everybody who has already left their reviews, thank you so much. Um, anybody else who has a little bit of time that you can go on. It's no longer iTunes. I guess it's like Apple Podcasts now. So oh, you're supposed yeah. To like, okay. Sorry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like that weird kid in high school who suddenly decides, oh, my name is Diana, you know. And, uh, <laughs> formerly known so, as iTunes. Formerly known. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> The thing formerly known as iTunes, just go in there and you can give us a review and that really does help us out a lot. Uh, The reading that we're going to be discussing tonight is Rising Strong, Chapter 6, Sewer Rats and Scoff Laws. And next week's reading is Rising Strong, Chapter 7, The Brave and Brokenhearted. I'm going to rename these. Chapter 6, the chapter that kicked Kelly's ass. Chapter (laughs) 7, the chapter Lonnie doesn't want to read. I don't want to read that chapter, <laughs> but I'm going to because I am committed to this process. Yes. Uh, but one of the things that I want to do before we do anything else today is talk about Mandy Kay. Mandy Kay! Mandy, oh my God, Mandy Kay has been doing, Mandy Kay of uh, Pop Culturally Deprived, uh, you go to eloquentgushing.com and you can find her and her podcast there. Um, she's unbelievable and she, every week, listens to the show pulls out quotes either from the book from Brene Brown or from the show from either one of us and makes these beautiful I have them on my on my phone they're like I, I take the new ones and I, I put them as my phone background and um, and it's just it's so wonderful um, she does these like wonderful beautiful graphical representations of the quotes and they're just absolutely beautiful you can find all of those at creativebadassery.tumblr.com um, and I just just recommend that you go there and look at them. It is, it's so wonderful. And she does beautiful work. I love what she does with her typography.
photography. They are absolutely amazing. And, you know, I, (laughs) for the unemotional, cold academic that I am, the first time (laughs) she posted one of those on Twitter and it had my name on it, I cried like a five-year-old. Like, I could not. I mean, happy tears, but I just could not believe that she had taken, you know, something from the show and made something that gorgeous from it. Just to show I support. Know. I mean, she just did it to, know. you know, to encourage us. And the the, the graphics are beautiful. Um, so, yeah. They thank really you, Mandy. Are. She's <laughs> doing these beautiful things. Thank you so much, Mandy. We really appreciate you taking the time to do that. It's so wonderful. So, again, that's creativebadassery.tumblr.com. Which is a great name. <laughs> it is a great name. I like it a lot. <laughs> so, um, our homework was not quite as much fun as Mandy's. No. <laughs> How did your how did your homework go this week? Oh God! Well, my homework was to get like a shitty spiral bound notebook and write in it. And I did I actually found a notebook lying around that I used to use uh, when we would do the podcast over at the at the other uh, you know the, the business that got blown up and um, and it has some notes in it and it has has his handwriting on a couple of things and I don't know. So I'm I'm putting all of my really shitty stuff in there. Good. Um and uh, and I haven't done a whole lot with it yet. Mm-hmm. Um but I but I will be absolutely fine with burning it when it's done. All right. So uh so that I feel is like you know I, I kind of got like a 50% on the homework. I got I found the thing <laughs> and I got ready to like write in it but I haven't actually written in it yet. So how about you? How was your homework? So um I kind of kicked homework ass this week. I got to say Good for you. Well, you know, I got it incomplete on homework last week. (laughs) But this was a good week for homework. Um, So the the Pinterest collaging, I have fallen in love. And I never thought that would be the case. Um, Oh, my God. I'm so glad. I love it. And I even made a Pinterest board with all of the quotes and graphics that Mandy Kay. And we've we've had a couple other folks make some beautiful ones, too. Um, Mm -hmm. And and then, like the picture of your notebook that you posted online when we started and the notes Mm -hmm. from our books. Like I'm putting all of the graphics, all of the photos, all of the images from the show on a board. And then there's just this like wonderful inspiration right there on the screen. Um, yeah, no, so, it's wonderful. It's really fun. Oh, that's great. I'm yeah. so glad that, you know, because I kind of pushed you to do the, the collaging when you didn't want to. And I'm really glad now that it's worked out so well for yeah, you. Yeah, I, I really love it. Um, oh, and the, the Ride or Die app has been surprisingly <laughs> helpful. Um, oh, good. So the way it works is I write some bad stuff, mm-hmm. wait a couple minutes, and it deletes all the words. <laughs> so it's it, it's kind of diabolical, and I sort of love it. Um, no, that's wonderful. Yeah, like it's it's and and eventually, I'm sure I'll get to the point that I actually want to keep what I'm writing. But um, yeah. but I love the idea that there's no record. Like it it I feel right. like I'm writing in invisible ink. Oh, yeah. You know, then it's really cool. No, that's great. That's great. But it's still helpful for you to just write all that stuff out. Yeah, it really is. Oh, it good. really is. Because it's still that's getting fantastic. out of my head. And, yeah, you know, yeah. and getting expressed. Yes. You know? And, and it's, yeah. it's a weird side effect of the homework. But I think, and it may be just from getting stuff out, even in the smallest mm-hmm. way. Um, but I feel the tiniest bit lighter. And mm-hmm. that makes me the tiniest bit happier. Yeah. And and I notice it because, like, I'm singing around the house oh, loudly and badly. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, there there seems to be 
like a direct correlation between getting some insight, giving myself a little bit of a break, doing things that I love to do and feeling happier. So, I mean, I'm not like Little Miss Sunshine here by any stretch of the imagination, but I can (laughs) feel a difference and I feel a little lighter. And so. Oh, good. I. I'm so glad because going through all this painful stuff. Yeah, Yeah. no, I mean, the thing is, like, we have to force ourselves to do it. Nothing about this is fun. I mean, it's actually, it's fun talking with you. I mean, I I love the fact that I get to talk with you and and do a podcast with you. So that's great. Although the next podcast should be more fun. Whatever we do next should be more fun. Oh, my God. I know, right? If if we ever say, let's pick the book that shattered us to little bitty pieces and podcast about it. Somebody needs to stop us. Like <laughs> one of these is enough. But it's enough. been really good. I mean, it's it's been yes. really like this. Part of my reflections from the past week, you know, is that like I have felt, um, God, I don't even know what it is. I, I wouldn't call it happy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wouldn't quite go that far. But I felt more peaceful. Yeah. Like I felt, um, I felt more accepting mm-hmm. of these things. I have been resisting. All of the stuff that has happened to me, I have resisted and I have resisted and I have resisted from the beginning. You know, it can't be true. It can't be happening. This can't be real, you know. And I think um, this week I kind of came to to just accept, you know, Mm -hmm. just like the acceptance part of that grief process, I guess. And I know that, you know, all the stages of grief are not linear. You know, you bounce back and forth from one to the other like a ping pong ball from hell. Um, (laughs) But, but, you know, like I I felt for the first time that that bit of acceptance and, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like I'm still a a hot fucking mess. Like, I mean, there's still like just all this stuff in here is just, is just messy and wrong and, and awful. And I, and I still like feel it, but, but there is that sense, like that little bit lighter, that little bit, you know, because we're doing the work and and this is what happens when you do the work when you make regular practice of it so um so you know I mean I'm like I'm I'm still angry but I'm not uh, I'm not like rageful the way that I was you know like I had so much rage and now I'm just feeling like you know pissed Hey, that's great, man. <laughs> so I mean, it's 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 good, yeah. you know. And I'm still I'm still thinking about this this generous story thing, mm-hmm. which I have been struggling with from the speedo, you know. Yeah. Um, this is something that I've been having a really really hard time processing, and we come back to it every week for me. And I'm still kind of working with that material, mm-hmm. um, but I feel like I'm making just the tiniest bit of progress like I'm 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 definitely better than I was yeah so I mean I guess that's a good thing it's a very good thing I I think it's all about tiny progress because I can't say oh I'm cured I'm so happy awesome right especially for this chapter which is Mm -hmm. mm, a whole nother thing (laughs) but I I think it is it is just the process of feeling a Mm -hmm. tiny bit lighter and yeah. and I also really have to give you credit because when you first suggested we podcast this as we go through it, I thought, yeah, what, <laughs> what, what, <laughs> what? That's what? crazy, what? right? Exactly, mm-hmm. really. <laughs> um, but the thing <laughs> is, because people are following along with us, because they're listening, yeah. because they're supporting each other, um, I can't skip the work without letting them down. 
Yeah. And so being accountable to that has made me engage with this homework during the week when normally I would procrastinate for a good six months. Oh, right. You know? right. Like we did with the class. <laughs> yes. but it was just I the mean, two of us in the Brene Brown class. Yeah. I could have stretched Rising Strong over a good decade, man. Oh, like, right. <laughs> but now we're doing this like, intense weeks, thing. Right. Like, um, so you were right. You were right. Okay, well, I, I'm glad because I, I honestly, like, I, I'm all of this, I'm shooting from the hip. I have <laughs> no idea what I'm doing. Oh, but you know what's funny, though, about that, that you're saying, that, like, we're doing this because we know people are listening and because there's that. I took the four tendencies quiz yes. that you wanted me to take, yes, right? Yes, yes. And discovered to absolutely, I think, nobody's surprised that I am an obliger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that if I know somebody is expecting something from me, or even worse, that they need something from me, Mm -hmm. um, I will do it. But if it's just for me, if it's just because I want to do it for me, it it generally won't get done. Like this whole thing with like the exercise that I've been doing since I got the dog, right? Right. You know, I didn't wake up at five in the morning and go out for a walk before, you know, but now I'm doing it because I got a dog. Although this week I haven't been because we got him neutered. Yeah. So the, Poor Pratchett. So the, Man, y'all, we need, some, we need some good love vibes for Pratchett. He's had a bad I week. I know. <laughs> he has had a bad week. But, you know, the, the vet was like, okay, you can't. He can only, like, walk outside to go to the bathroom and then he's got to come back in and that's it. And he can't jump and he can't run up and down stairs and he can't do it. Dog has been chasing cats all over the house. I mean, he's been. there is no way to keep that i mean he's okay like he hasn't pulled any stitches and everything's all right he seems to be okay we're we're past like the you know the first couple of days which are really the danger zone you know um but keeping a puppy keeping a a, he's nine months old now keeping a nine-month-old puppy from being active is is damn near impossible (laughs) that sounds like the definition of impossible Exactly, exactly. So but anyway, so I, I did that discovered that I was an obliger. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that it is it is always about, you know, other people and what they need from me and what they expect from me and all that kind of stuff. And I don't know that that's necessarily like a bad thing. Um, but it wasn't a big surprise. I will say that. Well, and not that I'm proposing, you know, big mm-hmm. strong yes season two, or anything. <laughs> but mm-hmm. it is kind of interesting to keep a running list of other books in my head yeah and i think that four tendencies book might lead to some great discussion um with folks it really might you know yeah because you and i are different i'm you know i'm i'm the rebel on there you're the rebel i I find that really interesting Yeah. yeah i'm the rebel that is like an obliger because she has to be an adult but really i just i don't want to do i i just want to ride off in the sunset on my harley with oh yeah you know, leather jacket and my boots and my cigarettes and be like, no rules, just podcasts. No <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. A, I've never ridden a, on a motorcycle like that in my life. It just was a great visual. But um, <laughs> Oh, I think you should, though. I think that's one of the things that we should do. You and I are both transitioning into, like, new phases of our lives, yeah. you know? Our kids are getting older. They're going to be going away to college pretty soon. We're going to have this uh, this whole newfound freedom. You know, and I think that we should do like some some wild things. I think we should like when we get to that point, you know, the kids are gone. We should do a podcast about like all the crazy adventures we're having. I think that'd be fun. Big, strong. Yes. Road trip. Big, strong. Yes. Road trip. That would be fantastic. (laughs) Coming coming to a town near you. (laughs) All right. So what Uh, other reflections did you have this week about the about the material? So this is what amazed me this week. I feel like every time we record an episode, we have like 10 minutes where I think, gosh, that went really well. 
And then I have like an entire night of panic going, oh my God, I can't believe I Podcast said that. Podcast hangover. Yeah. I can't believe I told that story. Oh my God. <laughs> and, and so, but, but finding out that I am not alone in the experience mm-hmm. of having my writing privacy violated um, yeah. and that shame of, you know, being read was amazing because several folks shared that, you know, they had also been through that and they felt the same way I did about it. Mm-hmm. And I've never told those stories. I, it's not something I talk about, you know? Um, yeah. And, and it was really healing, you know, and it was, it was, oh, it was great to, to realize that, Hey, I'm not the only person that has gone through that. So I, maybe it was helpful for someone else too. And if it was, then, then that's good. And then, um, <laughs> the phenomenon of being defended without qualification was shocking to me. So we, we got some people pretty pissed at my old oh, yeah. writing teacher. And I, I was pissed. Like, no. I was so pissed. I was talking over you. I listened to that part of the podcast. And I'm like, oh, my God, Lonnie, shut up and let her speak. But I was so mad. Well, and I felt kind of bad because I was like, okay, it's been 20 years did that, did that memory make that worse than it actually was? And so I sat down and thought about it and I was like, no, he really was that much of an asshole. Did he actually crumple it up and throw it in the garbage? Yeah. <laughs> then yeah, no, he's an asshole. <laughs> and, and he really did make fun of it. Um, but here's the funny thing is I actually found the essay. Um, oh my God. I, I went back through this old box of, of writing and I found it and uh-huh. it wasn't great. But it wasn't terrible either. And it was obviously written by someone very young who had had, Aww. you know, one philosophy class and thought she was deep. <laughs> and it was written oh, for, you know, that. it was written for her and it wasn't written for a reader because an 18 year old mm-hmm. is not really capable of an outward mindset, you know, mm-hmm. but that's okay because she was trying. And but that's but that's how everybody right. gets started. Yeah. Though. But and it's asshole to yeah. be crushing dreams. Yeah. So I'm uh, sorry. I'm still mad at him. <laughs> but it was it was good for me to realize that a good teacher should have been able to sense the effort, even if he didn't care for the style. And so um, sharing that story with y'all. And, and also, I'm not used to, you know, having someone completely take up for me and not also tell me how I'm partly to blame for whatever <sighs> happened. And people were just so indignant on my behalf. And then I was like, oh, my God, this is crazy. <laughs> so everyone that was supportive, thank you. Because um, it, it made me feel better. And and it also made me realize okay. that that son of a bitch doesn't get to stop me from writing anymore. You know, no, it's been 20 years not. and it's time. Yeah. So no, it is time. And you know what? Like, I'm I'm kind of I just feel sad that like. That this is an unusual experience for you to have people who are who have your back and who are in your corner, you know, like you should always have that. And I'm so sorry that you haven't. Well, I'm I'm not used to it, um, and it's yeah. different. But also, I don't I don't share these things a lot. Like if something painful yeah. happens to me, I don't tend to ask for help. And so, mm-hmm. have you ever seen Twenty Eight Days with Sandra Bullock? Oh yeah. Okay, you know, mm-hmm. at the end, they like make her wear the sign confront yeah. me if I don't ask for help. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, that's me. <laughs> like, I need that. I need that sign. They made that sign for me. Um, so it's it's interesting. Um, but I think part of it is because it has been 20 years, I am getting old. Um, the countdown to 40 is real. So I'll be 40 in six months. And it's Aww. it's motivating in a lot of ways and not just about writing. So mm-hmm. um, 
I kind of feel like I've been stuck in like this big ass, ugly, cramped up cocoon, you know, that's heavy mm-hmm. and caked in, caked in mud and, and like frozen solid. And this is like cracking it a little, you know, and, and oh, good. Yeah, it feels good to feel moonlight on my face again. So oh, little steps. Moonlight. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Right. Beautiful in the moonlight. So I say all that <laughs> before we start chapter six. By the end of chapter six, it's going to be a whole nother story. (laughs) I know. I know. Everybody get your drinks and your bingo cards because Lonnie going to cry. Man. Yeah. Lonnie going to cry. Kelly going to cook. It was tough. Oh, my God. All right. Good. All right. Well, why don't you get us started on the reading? I'm passing it to you. Okay. So um, it is hard to even know where to start with this. this. This chapter for me... The entire chapter was a shame trigger. And so mm-hmm. the, the chapter opens with a quote that says, um, integrity is choosing courage over comfort, choosing what is right over what is easy and choosing to practice our values rather than simply professing them. And it was like a punch in the gut because it feels like I fail at those things in big ways and little ways pretty much every day. Oh my God. That sounds like such a harsh judgment. Because I think that like you doing this podcast, something like it's an arena, it is an arena, and you are not comfortable with this. Like this is not something that you're used to. This is not something that, and to do your first podcast in this incredibly personal space, <laughs> like the courage <sighs> that it takes for you to do this with me is astounding. And like the idea that you would think that you fail at choosing courage is, is just, it's honestly beyond my understanding. Like, do you, do you not see how incredibly brave it was for you to do this? That your first podcast (laughs) being something so personal. I mean, a podcast at all, doing a podcast at all is, is walking into an arena and, and putting yourself out there and being incredibly vulnerable, but to do a podcast like this, (laughs) Well, you know, I just believe in starting with what's easy. <laughs> right. No, yeah, exactly. No. I, and, and it's weird because um, I feel like my instinct is to say I'm very bad at all these things, you know, so therefore mm. I am shame. I'm in the, I'm in the box of shame, right? That's where I live. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I learning to challenge that initial reaction to the quote you know to actually tease it apart and say okay is that true all the time is there Mm -hmm. in fact any time that you choose courage over comfort do you ever choose what's right over what's easy you have to break it apart but that's hard Mm -hmm. you know that's hard and still the the instant reaction is is to feel shame and so um I, I just I mean, of all the quotes in all the books and all the world, she had to open this chapter with this one. I mean, damn. (laughs) You know, but what's so strange about that, though, is like how different we see ourselves from how like other people see us, because I would look at that and see you as absolutely like being an exemplary example of all of those things. Well, you You have an incredibly generous view of me. No. Or, or, and here's a thought, or maybe you lack a generous view of yourself. 
Yeah, that's possible. Possible? <laughs> that's okay, possible. thank you. But it's thank it, you for a point it, to Lonnie. <laughs> yes. But it it is see, and now I'm sitting here fidgety in my chair and getting uncomfortable and really wanting to change the subject. So um it is it is difficult. This is um I I think I'm gonna struggle with this one for a while. And yeah. and it's also and I don't know if this is ever true for anyone else, but if you if you sit there and say you know, yes, I have this great integrity or yes, I have this great courage that you instantly Mm -hmm. run through like a running list of everything you've ever screwed up in your whole entire life. Right. Every time that you didn't. Yes. Right. Every time Mm -hmm. I didn't. And so the times Mm -hmm. I didn't stand out to me more than the times I did. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. They do. Like you don't even notice the times when you're doing it because that's, that's what you expect of yourself. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't get a cookie for just doing what I'm supposed to do. Right. You know, right. Right. Um, but, but really like being able to, and I think this is part of what we both struggle with is being able to see the whole of ourselves, you know, in a complex way, you know, to understand that we may not succeed at everything all the time. And again, we're going to talk about the perfectionism thing because that's coming up and I know I got to deal with that, <laughs> but, but that I think always and again this is something else that happened in this chapter but like we're always I think genuinely I think you and I are both people who genuinely do our best right I I mean I have a hard you don't you don't go into anything thinking well I'm gonna half-ass the shit out of this right like I mean that's not who you are right it's not who you are I think I try to do my best now I think my problem is I have not always been that way and so I have well, had, right. you know, a pretty explosive path of self-destruction in my early years. <laughs> and, and it's hard. So, like, my best friend will challenge me on this all the time. And she'll say, mm-hmm. okay, what's the cutoff age? Like, at what point right. do you stop judging yourself? Like, what's the cutoff age? And, mm-hmm. you know, it's hard to, to separate those two things. Um, so, I mean, the 18 year old that wrote that essay was also the 18 year old that screwed a whole bunch of shit up. And I don't know how long I'm supposed to judge myself for her. I mean, it's, it's a mess. It's just, obviously I am not able to talk articulately about this because I'm, oh, I'm honey, still, I know it's really hard. Yeah. I'm, I'm still face but down. But do you think about the, the single mom? who got her uh, bachelor's and her master's and her PH fucking D. Do you think about that girl? Because that girl's (laughs) rocking it. But from the way I was raised, you can't get past the becoming a single mom part to begin with. Like, and I know that that's wrong. Like, I know it's wrong. And I would never leverage that judgment on anyone else. But it's there. You know, it's there. And so I'm still struggling with this a lot. Like, I just, this is going to be a really, it's going to take a while. This one is not going to yeah. be an easy, an, well, an easy change. I hope that starts to crack for you a little bit, because I think that that is a, you know, and we do, we get into these mindsets that cement around us, mm-hmm. you know, and, and leave us kind of captured in this like motionless state, you know? Yeah. And I think when you can start to crack the cement, especially when the cement is, you know, is faulty, it's wrong, you know, like I look at you and I think, here's this woman you know, who was in this bad situation, who became a single mom and did all of those things. You know, like I have been a single mom out of all of my mom time for very, very little time, you know, for like, 
10 months when uh, about a year when I got my divorce that was about a year and a half when I got my divorce uh, my first divorce and then and then now you know the last like seven months you know but aside from that like I've always had somebody with me I've always had the help of of a father figure you know in in that not my father but like a father figure for the kids you know Mm -hmm. um so like I've always had that help and I haven't been able to accomplish like anything close to what you've done and you did that on your own I'm sorry which Which one of us wrote 13 books because that oh, was not up. me. No, <laughs> like, I mean, really? <laughs> well, so here's the funny thing. All right. Mm-hmm. So I, I read the first quote on the, the opening of the chapter. Mm-hmm. Put the book down. <laughs> you know, it, I, like, I really think it took me five or six attempts to go through this entire chapter. Uh, but then on page 99, I think she laid out the conflict box for me in a way that was helpful. Uh-huh. And and it's funny okay. because it really is amazing to me how much the story, you know, study, the study of story or story analysis, mm-hmm. how much that is helping me process some of the stuff. Um, yeah. So what you do on how story works and just narrative theory in general, it really does apply and it really is helping me here. Yeah. But on page 99, she said, two of the most common messages that trigger shame in all of us are never good enough and who do you think you are? And I wrote check and check. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, and yeah, so, <laughs> you know, yes, never good enough. I was a single mm-hmm. mom at 20. You know, the father of my yeah. child abandoned me. Um, it, it's, it's hard and it's shameful and it's sad and it's, you know, brokenhearted and it's all of those things. And I also, you know, became a good mom and got a, you know, mm-hmm. degree and a good job. Well, then you start oh, God, from three degrees. I'm yeah. sorry, three degrees. <laughs> you start from never good enough and then you land on, mm-hmm. well, who do you think you are? You know, right. and, mm-hmm. and it's, that is part of the problem there. Mm-hmm. I think that's part of the struggle. So at least yeah. understanding that there's a pendulum there that I'm swinging between and that those are shame triggers for other people and not just me. Is and no matter where you land, you're fucked. Yes. Right? Yes. Because it's either not good enough or who do you think you are? Like there's no place where you land and it's like, no, that's good. Yeah. Let's just, <laughs> yeah. Let's just stay there. No. Exactly. Either side of that pendulum sucks. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So what about you? That's... Yeah. How, how oh, did you God. do with this? <laughs> I got to say, she's telling this story, right? You know, she's telling this story about she, you know, they, they, these horrible people completely manipulated her and were dicks. And I actually wrote that in this, like, these people are dicks. Like, in the, when they're like, well, you know, don't forget the people who supported you before you were a big deal, you know, yeah. and like all of that stuff, they were terrible. She goes to this thing. She ends up in the room with this woman who is is just awful. And I really, you know, as I was reading it, I was like, wow, I hope that she has fictionalized the details of this. Because that woman, like, would be like, oh, my God, I was a roommate with Brene Brown. She's going to write this book. I'm going to read it. Oh, my God. You know, like, I just can't imagine what that experience would be like. (laughs) To be like, wait, I had a cinnamon roll the day that I met her. I don't remember any of this. I don't remember being that horrible of a person. Yeah. I don't remember being that horrible. But she goes through this whole thing. And then she comes home just pissed off. And everyone's all, oh, but maybe she's just doing the best that she can. Mm Mm-hmm. And as I'm reading it, I am with, and I know, I know because, you know, I've, I've been in the world for a while. Like, I know that she's telling this whole story about how she was completely wrong, 
But I'm like, no, bad Brene. I'm with you. I'm with you on this. I am like, this is terrible. This woman is awful. And I am with you. And had Brene Brown and I been friends at that point and she called me, I would have been like, yes. Yes, I'm on your side. <laughs> this woman is not doing her best. And then there's this quote on, uh, it's 107, page 107 in the hardback, when her therapist asks if it's possible, just possible, that this horrid woman was doing her best. And Brene says, no. I do not believe she was doing her best. Do you believe she was doing her best? And as I'm reading that quote, I I feel like I hear the words and I am with her and I am saying them along and I identify with it so much. And then she goes into this whole thing and then she's like... You know, people who can't see that others are doing their best often don't cut themselves slack for not being perfect and that it relates to this whole perfectionism thing. Um, And I'm reading this whole thing as she's like going down the list of the reasons why the people who, you know, think, no, they're not doing their best are not wholehearted, Mm -hmm. you know, who are not like (laughs) all of this kind of stuff. And I'm like, I am completely all of the things that Brene, like, like she's telling the story of like, you know, former Brene who got it all wrong and now past Brene or present Brene who has like figured it all out, you know, and I am like firmly former Brene on this. Oh, me too. Yeah, I'm I'm Brene 1.0. Okay, so thank you. Brene 1.0, right? When when the first time I I read this book, I listened to the audio and Mm -hmm. I have the clearest memory I was on Interstate 44 in St. Louis, and she got to this point, and she asked the question, do you think most of the time people are just doing their best? And I pulled over to, like, <laughs> unplug from the audiobook, and I was like, oh, hell no. What the? <laughs> like, I mean, it's just, you know, and as I'm reading this, I'm I'm like, and the thing is, is that this is the kind of person that I am, right? I want to get the gold star, right? <laughs> I want to be the like, I want to be the good student who gets everything right and knows everything and does everything perfect. And, you know, which of course leads into the soul perfectionism, which is why I'm one of these people who can't say that people are doing their best, right? And um, so as I'm reading this, like, I know that we're, it's like, you know, I know that we're heading into a skid. Like, I'm completely on her side. And I'm just <laughs> waiting for the skid where she's like, you're wrong. You know, this isn't the way that you should be doing it. This isn't the way that you should be thinking. And, um, and then she gets to this, you know, she's talking about all of the people who um, who struggle with it, you know, who said to her when she did all of her research, when she did her interviews, who said, no, they're not doing their best. And the thing that they say is, I know I'm not doing my best. Mm-hmm. So why should I assume that other people are? Right. And I just like I, I struggle with this, like I struggle with this whole perfectionism thing, especially because I put on this whole show about, hey, I fucked that up. I did that badly. I've done, you know, but when it comes to things that I like genuinely care about, like there are things that I don't do well and that I know I don't do well. And I am perfectly okay with all of those things. You know, like I am not a great cook. I'm not a great singer. I, I can't dance at all. Like these are all the things that I can't do, but the stuff that I actually care about, like, um, I mean, I guess the three big perfection triggers for me are my work, my parenting and my body image. Mm-hmm. Like those are the three big, you know, big things for me. Um, those things drive me crazy. Like to know that I I have been and I have been like the most imperfect of, of moms. And I think that that is probably the one that hits me the worst. Um, you know, that my work, when my work isn't 
good or isn't as as good as I feel it should be. That is a huge, you know, problem for me. Um, body image. I can't. I'm I'm a woman in America. That's all you need to know about that. <laughs> um, you know, so. I can never be perfect at all of these things. And I want so desperately to be perfect at all of these things. And it does, it takes a, a serious chunk out of me like every single day. And, um, you know, and, and like being a good person and doing the right thing, which is always a thing for me, like whatever I do, I want to be the right thing. And I so often feel like what I'm doing isn't the right thing. And so I'll do something and then I'll immediately apologize for it and, you know, feel bad about it. And it's just, it's this whole big thing for me. So, you know, I'm looking at this perfectionism and I'm looking at this, you know, I'm, and I mean that whole thing, the, the, I'm not doing my best. Why should I assume other people are that every time I'm hateful to somebody else because they're fucking up, you know, it is just a reflection of me being hateful to myself. And like, so, so here I am at this point in the chapter and I'm like, well, that's great. Brene 2.0. That's <laughs> awesome for you. You know, <laughs> like now with my perfectionism, I'm completely on your side and you've just told me I'm still fucking it all up. Thank you so much for that. I'll just, okay, let's just move on to the next thing now, I guess. You know? <laughs> like, how did you, how did you deal with that? So when I was reading her, um, she talked about like irritation and self-righteousness as being big triggers. And I was like, oh my God, me too. And yeah. I, especially the self-righteous stuff like I know myself mm. when I get it annoyed when I start to get seriously irritated and it can slip into self-righteous mm -hmm. bitch I'm talking big ass super oh, bitch yeah. and it it is oh, a yeah. complete shutdown trigger for me because all it is is the flip side of of self-judgment and I oh, yeah. and and I hate it because I I want to be like an incredibly open non-judgmental empathetic person and mm -hmm. on most things i am i mean i, I try yeah. to be but i can get judgmental about the stupidest shit and i know mm -hmm. better and i don't like myself when i'm in that mode mm -hmm. but on on page 110 she said people aren't themselves when they're scared and she was talking yeah. about other people's behavior and like mm -hmm. not judging them for how they act i have had to learn to cut myself a break in this area because mm -hmm. I'm not myself when I'm scared and yeah. you don't raise a kid by yourself without being scared a lot of the time, oh, you know, uh, and I yeah. also hate to be afraid and I don't like mm -hmm. feeling fearful. And I know that if I am scared, I'm going to act like I'm mad. Like it just yeah. happens. And the self-righteousness doesn't come from the same fear but it comes from a fear that I'm as bad as the person I'm judging, which is yep. because mm -hmm. really I'm just judging myself. It has nothing to do right. with, with anyone else. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, the evil side of perfectionism is self-hatred and, and that you mm -hmm. become judgmental of others. And it, it stems from feeling, you know, that you'll never, ever be good enough. And Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know how to fix that. I mean, I know it's there and I think <laughs> like maybe that's just that's part okay. of it. I don't know like, how to fix it. Thank you so much for showing me that my tire is flat, I but I can't change it. Like, so yeah. Thanks mm -hmm. Dr. Brown for showing me how broken I am. And we still have half a book. So <laughs> there's hope. But, oh, it's going to be fun. Uh, yeah, it's going to be awesome. Uh, oh, God, but, yeah. but it's also hard being someone else's sewer rat. So like 
knowing that there are people who judge you and who will dislike you because of what or who you are. That's hard. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's so, yeah, I just, I struggle with all of this, but I did take one good thing out of the chapter. Thank God. What was it? So in the, in the search for tools for my toolbox, um, I kind of found a power tool Uh and, and she said that a reluctant yes becomes a resentful yes. Oh, and yeah. that hit me like a ton of bricks because mm-hmm. I think so much of the yeses in my life are reluctant yeses mm-hmm. and they're not things that I want to do. They're things I feel I should do. Oh, the obligation. Yeah. Obligation is the worst. Yeah. yeah. And I don't like it, you know, and the more mm-hmm. that you say yes to what you don't want to do, the less time and energy you have to say yes to what you do want to do. And no, so, absolutely. Like, so trying to identify, like, physically, what does reluctance feel like so that mm-hmm. I can start to recognize it and realize a reluctant yes is going to make me resentful, which is going to make oh, me yeah. angry, which is going to make me unhappy. Um, when she talked mm-hmm. about boundaries and, and the fact that people who are very compassionate have strong boundaries... I think they don't say reluctant yeses. They say kind no's. Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. something I have to get better at. Yeah. No, I was absolutely like this whole boundary thing, you know, is such a problem for me. And I think it, it completely makes sense. Like all the stuff she was talking about in this chapter, like, you know, it's again, this intellectual versus the emotional, right? You know? <laughs> like intellectually, I'm looking at it. I'm like, oh yeah, no, she's really, she's really right. You know, but as I'm reading it, I also have have no idea how to make that work in my life. Like, you know, it, it and it comes back to self-worth, you know, like self-worth and self-value like ties into everything. And from the time I was a kid and like and this is embarrassing and humiliating to admit, but I'm going to go ahead because really what else? Like what else? Honestly, <laughs> what am I holding back for? Right. Um but it's like my entire life, I've just wanted people to love me. Like that is, I've been so desperate for people to love me that I give everything of myself. And it torpedoed my first marriage, definitely. Uh, I didn't torpedo my second marriage, but I did the same thing. And that's part of the reason why um, why things got as far off the rails as they did, where like I will sacrifice everything in myself. I will question my own judgment. I will, um, I will, you know, like subvert my judgment, my desires for whatever it is that he wants, whatever it is that I think that's going to make him happy. Um, in my first marriage, I did that to the point where I had nothing left for, for me, let alone him. Mm -hmm. You know, it was 12 years and I had exhausted myself to the point where I had absolutely nothing left and you know and in the first marriage we were both I mean we both had things that we did wrong and we weren't right for each other in a lot of ways um but like that was that was definitely one of the things that I really did wrong because I I'm so desperate and I don't believe that anybody will love me unless I give them my soul unless I give them everything and and nobody who loves you wants you to do that my first husband didn't want me to do that didn't ask me to do that right I did that you know? Um, so it's, it's one of those things where like I deep down inside, you know, and this is embarrassing, but deep down inside, I believe that if I have boundaries, then no one is ever going to love me. 
that if I say no, if I say I can't, if I say this isn't right for me, if I say I need more from you, mm-hmm. you know, um, that's it. Like, why would anybody like, and again, it comes back to that value. I have no value, you know, like in my head, like I have no value. So this person only can love me if I give them everything. And that's the only way to, to maintain that love and keep that love. And, um, so, so I don't know, like, I think that's where my, my lack of ability to set and, and maintain boundaries, you know, where that comes from. And that's great to understand it, you know, intellectually, (laughs) but like, how do I apply this? you know, to myself. And the fact is that like, you know, I believe this on an emotional level that no one's going to love me, even though I know it's not true, but people who only love you because you're not a boundaries don't love you. No. Like that's and, not, and- you know, the people who genuinely love you, like if they genuinely love you, your boundaries are going to be part of that and your value and your self-worth is going to be part of that. So like, you know, again, intellectually, totally understand it. Emotionally, when am I ever going to make this work you know how am I gonna how am I gonna change this in myself it's just hilarious to me because I hear you think you know I hear you say that and I'm like how is that even possible I mean you you are (laughs) such an exceptional person you you know I I just don't have words I mean truly to describe how wonderful you are and I'm and I'm not blowing sunshine I'm, I'm serious but but I hear you say it, and so therefore <laughs> I have to un- I have to believe that you feel it, and it, but yeah. but just knowing mm-hmm. that you can be that wrong, <laughs> it's it's kind of empowering <laughs> because you are wonderful. Oh good. Um, but and no one who loves you would ever want to take away something that should be yours, right? People that love you want you to be whole and happy, and if someone is taking more than that, then they are not a good person, you know, to have around. But when when I hear you talk, yeah, but like, I mean, like I know. you know, but I'm, I don't know, like the evidence shows that loving me is not a very easy thing to do. No, you know, I mean, I don't think so. I, I think we know. would disagree with that evidence. I don't know. Well, I mean, but the thing is, like, I feel the same way about you. You're fantastic, Ugh. but you struggle with this stuff I too, do. right? But I think it comes back. So this is still from last week, right? Is the notion mm-hmm. of lovability. And right, I mm-hmm. think I gave up on the idea of being loved a long, long time ago. And just made peace with mm-hmm. it. Like, it's just, yeah. that's just how it is. And and I don't know if it comes from not feeling loved as a kid or just from having bad experiences or just from mm-hmm. letting, you know, self-doubt grow to a certain point. But, yeah. but knowing that there are other people who I love who consider themselves to be unlovable, if you put a rational lens on that, then the broken thinking has to be mine. I mean, it's still hard Mm -hmm. to accept it, and I can't say that I feel that emotionally, but I've been wrong before, (laughs) right? And so, I mean, this is is something I'd really like to be wrong about. And and when I hear you say it, I know you're wrong, so I think there's hope. (laughs) I just think it's really hard. So It is. It is really hard, and it's so, like... And it's so difficult to, like, be honest about that. Oh, To be like, well, I think I'm essentially unlovable. Like, I I think that I'm, you know, and I don't know, like, where does it, where does it come from? Like, you know, what kind of damage, what kind of water do you have to take on as a kid, you know, to, like, end up like this? But the fact that, 
you know, this isn't an unusual experience. Like there's so many people, you know, out there on Twitter and in the, in the Patreon discord chat and, Mm -hmm. you know, who are saying that like they're experiencing the same stuff. And I think part of it, you know, like the sharing of stories is so incredibly empowering. And this isn't the kind of stuff that ordinarily you talk about, right? you know, like you just don't, you don't talk about this stuff. You talk about Buffy, you know, you talk (laughs) about like other things, you know? Um, So, I don't know. But the thing that really hit me, though, about this was on page 115 in the hardcover, she says, compassionate people ask for what they need. Right. You know, and like, I've always considered myself to be like a very compassionate person, Mm -hmm. despite the fact that I'm, uh, you know, apparently really judgmental and (laughs) nobody's doing their best. (laughs) Um, But the idea that compassion starts with you the compassion like having you cannot have compassion for other people if you do not have compassion for yourself and that is is such a mind-blowing thing because my compassion has always been outward and when I get into judgment like I don't get into judgment a lot and I tend to be like you know very compassionate in general to people Mm -hmm. you know and, and, and I tend to like cut them slack and, and think that, you know, and think that generally they're doing their best, yeah. except when they hit one of my triggers, right? except when they, when they do a thing, you know, that, that I think that I'm worried about on myself, yeah. you know, that I'm worried about mm-hmm. me being, you know, as bad as they are or whatever. And then that's the kind of thing that, um, that just sends me off in this loop. So this idea that compassion begins at home, yes. you know, compassion <laughs> begins internally, right. that you cannot be truly compassionate without being compassionate towards yourself. Um, yeah, I'm going to be wrestling that alligator for a while. Me too. And, and I wrote, <laughs> I wrote down the same quote because I, yeah. um, and then I wrote, well, okay, so to be compassionate, I have to ask for what I need. And then I said, well, what the fuck? What if what I need just ain't there? <laughs> What am I supposed to do then? Right. Right? Like, I can think back to trying to wrestle a preschooler into bed at night after a long day of work and Mm -hmm. trying to pay bills and do homework with money and time that I did not have. And what I needed was for someone to step up and be a dad. What I needed was Mm -hmm. for someone to help me. And I could have asked for that until I was blue in the face. It was not going to happen. So, and like, I know that's like a literal raw interpretation of this and that's not what she means, but I still don't know how to quite reconcile that. Number one, I don't like to ask for help and I don't Mm -hmm. like to ask for what I need, but I realize Mm -hmm. the people that I respect and people I enjoy being around do. Like if, if, if I, you know, and I mean, even down to like being a kid, I can remember um, you know, being at a party and people are passing around cigarettes and one of the like cool girls that I looked up to was like, no, I don't smoke. And she didn't care. Peer pressure bounced yeah. off her like nothing. You know, <laughs> it's just like her boundary. She was comfortable uh-huh. with it. She didn't care what anybody thought. And I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I'm the one like running around lighting them for everyone, trying to be super helpful and popular. Um, and <laughs> I mean, that's probably a bad example, but um, but I, I think there are, there, there, it gives you this solidness to yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it kind of mm-hmm. gives you this steadiness when you know what your boundaries are and you're comfortable communicating them and you're comfortable saying, no, that's not going to work for me. And you're doing it with compassion. You can do that with kindness, mm-hmm. but you have to have yeah. that kindness to yourself first. 
And yeah. it did help me understand the difference between self-care and overindulgence. Um, sometimes I get really annoyed with the self-care talk. Um, like, mm-hmm. oh, yes, I know you're a working parent, but, you know, you just need some self-care. Like, go to the bar <laughs> and the spa or something. And Like, I don't think, you know, <laughs> over-shopping or over whatever mm-hmm. it, it's almost like you can do anything in the name of self-care and I mm-hmm. that bothers me like I, I struggle with that but this is different yeah mm-hmm. this kind of compassion for yourself about being honest about what you need based on who you are you know and based on mm-hmm. the way you want to live and that's different and so understand understanding yeah self-compassion in that context is very helpful for me. So, I don't know. Yeah, what about no, you? <laughs> I think that, um, you know, I think that part of what asking for what you need doesn't necessarily mean getting it. Yeah. But knowing that you're saying, I need this thing, like acknowledging that you need it and that you're asking for it, whether or not you get it, the fact that you are valuing yourself enough to say, this is something I need. You know, um, I think that maybe that's where that starts, that maybe there's just something about saying, I value myself enough that I'm going to say I need this thing instead of being like, well, it ain't happening. So whatever, you know. Um, So, yeah, I don't know. Um, It's uh, it's definitely like a a struggle to because I think part of it isn't just asking for it. But it's saying that, like, I deserve to have this thing that I need, you know? I think that's a big I deserve, like, Brene Brown deserves to have her own hotel room. Like, yes. I deserve to have my own hotel room because when I'm going and doing a thing, you know, it's exhausting. And you need time when you're performing like that. It's exhausting. You need time to yourself, you know? Right. And you need to be able to have a place that you can retreat away from everybody, mm-hmm. you know? And, and that's the way it is when you're doing those events, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, so, like, she deserved to have that. But she didn't ask for it or not strongly enough, right. you know, in the way that she she right. described her experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's where that that starts is, you know, and, and, and in her circumstance, like, you know, because we can't apply it to ourselves because that's too hard. But like, let's look at her like in her circumstance. She needed this thing. They were either going to give it to her or not. But her her appropriate boundary would have been, OK, well, if you can't do this, then I'm sorry, I can't do your event. Right. You know, and my britches, my britches are just fitting just fine. So don't worry about <laughs> it. You know? um, and that's what she needed to do, you know, in, in that circumstance. But she didn't do that. And uh, because she wasn't valuing herself and her needs and saying it is OK for me to say that I need this. Right. It is OK for me to acknowledge that I need and deserve this thing, you know, whether or not I'm going to get it. Yeah. And that the choices that I make in response to that you know, to whether or not I'm going to get it. Like the, the things that I do in response to that are, are going to be things that acknowledge, you know, at least that I have this thing that I need. Does that make sense? It makes great sense. Yeah. And it is really helpful. I mean, her sharing her examples, put it in context Mm -hmm. for me. And I think that's why this chapter is so challenging because until now we were dealing with concepts mostly other than a speedo. Mm -hmm. But in this chapter, you know, we have nitty- and we got pissed off at the speed of yeah. it. And, but we get we had nitty gritty details here, um, mm-hmm. and knowing yeah. that I have felt exactly as she was feeling in there, and mm-hmm. seeing that emotion and action in someone else really helped me 
clarify it for myself. So, and, and, and I just appreciate mm-hmm. her doing that work so much because it's, this is really hard. Um, you know, so one of the other big things when we, we shift kind of from this idea of boundaries and self-compassion, she started talking about forgiveness and this was a big thing oh, for yeah. you. So do you want to talk about no, kind is... of your reaction to the idea of forgiveness? Oh, oh sure. Uh, why not? Let's go ahead. Let's just <laughs> dive right in. Um, so, you know, last week when I was talking about like how I'd had that big like emotional, you know, uh, breakdown basically in the middle of last week, um, it was all about forgiveness. Like you and I were having a discussion uh, via text about this idea of forgiveness. Like, can I forgive number two for the stuff that he did, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I'm I'm so resistant to that. Um, like so horribly, horribly resistant to that. Um, and there are moments when I think like, I'm going to have to forgive number two, because otherwise I carry this hate and anger around with me forever, you know? And like, I don't, I don't want to do that. That's, that's not good for me. Um, on page 129 of the hardback, cause she's, you know, she's always talking about this like generosity thing and, and thinking about people generously, you know, are they doing their best and blah, 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 whatever, you know? And, um, and so she's talking about people who do the unforgivable, you know, like serial killers and assassins and, you know, this kind of stuff. And she says, shame is much more likely to be the cause of destructive behavior than the cure. Guilt and empathy are the emotions that lead us to question how our actions affect other people. And both of these are severely diminished by the presence of shame. So she's, you know, talking about like, like, you know, not forgiving these people um, being angry with them, telling them they're bad people, you know, shaming them is, is not going to make this situation any better, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then she's talking about like hold people accountable for their actions in a way that acknowledges their humanity, which for me, you know, has always been a thing when I'm talking in the abstract, when I'm talking about like prison, right? First of all, there are so many people in prison who shouldn't be there and that's a whole other political discussion. Right. Um, but that is a horrifying thing that, that we are doing culturally. And I think it is, it is like the second biggest um, shame um, upon America after slavery. I think mm-hmm. that, and, and slavery is a big deal. I think this is a big deal too. Um, it's, it's a big problem. And so the, the idea when she's talking about, you know, we, we put these people in prison and we treat them like they're not human. And then we expect them, you know, when they get out to just go out and be productive members of society. And it's a completely broken system. And I absolutely agree with that. And in the margin underneath, you know, the thing about murderers and, you know, and all these horrible people who go to jail, people who truly genuinely deserve to go to jail, which most of the people who are in jail don't. Um, And, uh, and I actually wrote totally on board for the murderers, you know, for treating them with humanity, but not number two. (laughs) I actually wrote that down, you know? Um, And then like, I I thought about how I, I come to this hard skid when, when I think about forgiving him and it's, it's, I don't think it has to do with him. You know, I think it has to do with me. Like, I feel like, I can't forgive him because I can't forgive myself and I am holding myself responsible for all of the things that he's done. So if I forgive him, then I have to forgive myself. And like, I resist that so hard. Like, I mean, I come up against that so hard because even though intellectually I know that everything he did was his fault and not mine, like it's, I feel like it's all my fault because I was so stupid and I was so reckless and I I brought this man over from Scotland and married him and brought him into my kids' life and into my friends' lives. And, you know, 
they were little girls. They were little girls and I married this man and he abused them. You know, he emotionally tore them apart. And that's my fault. Like I did that and I can't, I can't forgive myself for that. And so like forgiving him is so far off the table, you know, because like, I just, I cannot. So like, I don't even know. I don't even know how to, how to reckon with this or rumble with this or anything with this, anything, any R word. I don't know how to do it. Like, I don't know. (laughs) How do I, how do I even get close to this? You know? And it's, it's so much easier to hate him and make him a monster and then just put all that hate and all that anger outward because I've got so much of it that I'm, I'm holding on myself for being that stupid. And, you know, and that... so now who is talking too harshly to herself? I mean, oh, I, so oh, is it me? you were, like, is it me? you know, <laughs> you've got, I think, stupid and reckless and wrong and lots of other words in there. And honey, <laughs> that's just not the case. It's just not the case. And, you know, even Dr. Brene Brown says in that book, um, are sociopaths and serial killers and murderers and bad people, are they doing the best they can? She thinks they are, but their best Mm -hmm. is dangerous for other people. And therefore we should not be around them. And (laughs) you, you cannot hold yourself responsible for the actions of someone else. He did those things, not you. He did those things, not you. But I let him. No, I I don't think you rolled out the carpet. While he was doing it. Like, because how stupid is that? a disaster love is is crazy and if that were true then every woman who has ever fallen in love with a bad man would be a bad person and it cannot be true for you and not be true for everyone else (laughs) including me oh why not because (laughs) i don't understand you are not why can't i just have my double standard (laughs) in the in the words of my cousin Vinny, the laws of physics do not cease to exist on your stove (laughs) okay (laughs) because if that were true then anyone who has ever loved anyone who was bad or wrong to them or ended up being a terrible person then that person would be bad simply for falling in love and last time i checked we don't get a whole lot of choice in that. Yeah. I mean, you you did not roll out the red carpet and say, please come and hurt me and everyone else around me. I would love for you to do that. Like, in fact, <laughs> I'm going to make a t-shirt that says, please hurt me on a daily basis. I'm pretty sure you didn't do that. <laughs> yeah, but I didn't stop it either. Honey, you did stop it. You're stopping it now. <laughs> You're... I didn't. He left me. He had to leave me. If he hadn't left me, I would still be with him. And he would still be doing this but there to was me a... and to my kids. No, there's a lot of that going on at the end that you didn't know about and you would have stopped. And and you haven't had him back. <laughs> you haven't no. opened the door and said, hey, why don't you come do that again? That was fun. <laughs> like, you got to give yourself <laughs> a break. You are in therapy. You are working through some hard stuff. You have put your girls in therapy. You are doing what you are supposed to do to recover. And there is a huge difference between making perfect choices and, by the way, getting incredibly lucky. Because anyone that has gotten through relationships unscathed has gotten really lucky. 
And you cannot tell how a relationship is going to turn out until you've gone through it. We don't get to see the end at the beginning. If we did, we would all make incredibly different choices. Much, much better choices. You know? Yeah, I don't know. Like, I I mean, I understand what you're saying. Like, I mean, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. And that's okay. I don't, I don't feel it. Like, it is, it is my fault. But it's not. I was stupid. I was so dumb. No. And, um... So falling yeah, in so love. I don't know, like, so falling in love is is dumb. Well, it is if you no you no. Know, I mean, this is a yes or no question. It was, it was over the internet. I barely knew him. He was lying to me the whole time, and I had no idea. Okay, stop I mean, there. He was lying to me the whole time, and I had no idea. How are you then responsible for everything he lied about? <laughs> you can't have it both ways baby you have to be nicer uh, to yourself and how many yeah. wonderful marriages today have started with people meeting on the internet it's, it's no yeah. different you know if, if you'd met him in a bar it wouldn't be it doesn't it doesn't add a, a qualifier onto that it's okay it, it this is not something that you caused it's not and I know you don't feel that way and it's okay but you just have to give yourself a break because if it were true in your case, it would be true for everyone who has gone through something similar. And, and it's not true. The, the fault. I don't see why you won't just let me have my double standard. I mean, come on. <laughs> because we are here to hold each other to the honest fucking fire. No. All right. Yeah. But, but the fact that you yeah. can talk this through is still a huge step. You know? Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I mean, it's I it's one of these things I just can't. So like when she's talking about this accountability thing. Yeah. You know, you hold people accountable. Like, I don't even know what that means. Like, I don't I don't know. I don't know what that means. Like, is it you know, because if I forgive, then am I not holding myself accountable? You know, am I not holding myself accountable for like, I think it depends on the definition of forgiveness. And I struggle with this, too. And so I think it depends on how you define forgiveness. So in one of her, I think it's Brene Brown, in one of her books, maybe it's this book, maybe it's later, maybe I blocked it out because it's painful. I don't know. <laughs> but somewhere someone said that holding on to to hate or refusing to forgive is like taking rat poison and then waiting for the rat to die. That it, Oh, yeah, that's like a Buddha yeah, thing. Yeah, so I don't know where I heard it, but, um, yeah. but it made a lot of sense to me when I heard it. And... When it comes to forgiving someone, first of all, you ain't gotta till you're ready. That you're still a few months out from this, and there's no requirement mm-hmm. that says you got to be forgiven anybody. <laughs> so, like, you don't have to start yeah. that process yet, and you only do that to the point that it heals you. So, yeah. when the, when the purpose of forgiving something is so you can let something go. That's different. This isn't excusing someone else or letting someone else off the hook. Um, and so the accountability part of that is to be able to say, he did something wrong to me. That was mm-hmm. his choice. I am going to forgive myself for the blame I'm putting on myself unfairly is another mm-hmm. is another statement. And it's hard. I mean, I know it's hard. But it's okay. You're starting. Yeah. I don't know. Like, and that's the thing. Like, when I think about forgiving him, you know, it's, it's, it's just that, like, I come up so hard against if I forgive him for the things that he's done, 
I can't do that without forgiving myself first. And I don't think I can do that. I personally, the shallow, not <laughs> 2.0 Kelly, I don't give a flying fuck if you ever forgive him. I want you to <laughs> forgive yourself to the point that it brings you peace. But I also think you have nothing to forgive yourself for. I think you need kindness, not forgiveness. I think you need compassion, not, you know, self, I mean, not like resolution, not, um, you don't need to be resolved of a wrong. You just need kindness to yourself to walk through Mm -hmm. something incredibly painful. Someone has been wrong to you and it hurts and it's horrible. And you're doing the very best you can with it. And oh my God, I just said doing the best you can. And I didn't mean to. Am I to. doing my best? You are <laughs> doing. And I didn't even mean that ironically. Damn, this woman's always right. <laughs> what is up with her? God, even when I don't try to agree with her, I end up agreeing with her. Fuck, she's right. I know. Damn it. <laughs> That's why we're so mad at her all the time. Because uh, she's always right. And everybody is doing the best they can. And I mean, that yeah. is a really hard concept but I do like the fact that just because someone's doing the best they can does not mean that we need to allow it it may be the best they can but our boundaries have to keep us away from what is not good for us yeah so yeah yeah do we have okay so moving on from that do you have any rainbows or kittens at the end of this chapter I do I I feel like we're like okay listeners why don't you just Pour some wine with us and we'll all fall apart together. And... Exactly. <laughs> but... Well, okay, let's let's go to the aha moment. Oh, yeah. There has to okay. be something good let's there. What did you have? What okay. did you have? So I did like, um, I liked her boundary framework. So she gave an example of an of a artist who has work online. And people were copying and reposting and um, sharing her images and stuff without crediting them mm-hmm. to her. And so she kind of set up some very healthy boundaries and wrote, like, Mm -hmm. it's okay to use my work like this, this, and this. It's not Mm -hmm. okay to do this, this, and this. And I have found that framework to be incredibly helpful. Um, Yeah. Just for myself, for, you know, friends. This helps me with parenting a lot. You know, Mm -hmm. it is okay to ask if you can break curfew it is not okay to break curfew without telling me (laughs) Mm -hmm. but just that Mm -hmm. just that framework this is okay for me and this isn't is it it gives it a very clear you know way to think through and maybe even making lists like this to Mm -hmm. some extent um i like it and i I like the framework and so that was an aha and then i also think the idea of praxis is an aha. Mm-hmm. I love what is praxis. Okay. You're going to have to, you're, yes. you get the PhD, this is baby. A PhD I, don't have word. That. I learned this word in graduate school. I love this uh, word. It's P R A X I S. And so praxis is the idea of putting theory into action. So it is, uh-huh. it is the practicing with intent, you know, something that you're moving from the theoretical into the practical mm-hmm. at least that's okay. kind of and and you can get much deeper and more philosophical about it but i like thinking about praxis as theory and action mm-hmm. so we're halfway okay. through the book and we've learned the theory of rising strong you know it has three parts mm-hmm. the rumble the reckoning the revolution and now we're putting that into action and it's kind of awesome yeah 
No, that is very cool. I mean, because she's using these examples. And, and I mean, that's the thing that's nice. Like, it's so hard to look at your life and your experiences and, like, find a way to apply this to it. Mm-hmm. But when you've got one of her stories, you know, and you're looking at her stories and you're kind of like, you know, like looking at this whole thing that she did with this, you know, uh, event that she went to, you know, right. and the way that she processed that whole thing, I think is really helpful to to see it in action that way. I think so, so I think too. it was really good. I mean, because you, you hate this chapter, though. I hate this. I, I have no words. <laughs> to tell you how much I hate this chapter. <laughs> I don't mm-hmm. this 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 chapter for me is like laying flat on my back with a boulder on my chest and trying to breathe. It is oh, just God. this yeah. one was hard. So, what about you? What was mm-hmm. your aha? Um your big idea. You know, this this whole idea of the boundaries, mm-hmm. you know, and on page 122 in the hardcover, she says, what I realized was that a generous assumption without boundaries is another recipe for resentment, misunderstanding and judgment. And, you know, and I thought about that because like I have been, you know, I, I like living with as few boundaries as possible. Mm-hmm. You know, there's certain things that I've that I've, you know, put my foot down about, but there's the bar has been so low. Yeah. Like, I, I swear to God, this is true story. When I married my first husband, I said, don't cheat on me, don't hit me, and don't, like, you know, drink or do drugs. Like, you know, or drink, like, normally, but, like, don't, you know, become an alcoholic or do drugs. Right. <laughs> and I said, that's all I ask of you for a marriage <laughs> is that you don't. And I will tell you, he never did any of those things, mm-hmm. you know, and it still didn't work because I didn't have any other boundaries, any demands. Um, what I expect from people is is so incredibly low. And I have this really good friend that I was talking to not too long ago who said, you know, she goes, I like got to my mid 20s and I thought I'm not dating a man for his potential anymore. You know, she's like <laughs> so smart when I date men. <laughs> Exactly. And I was like, where were you when I was in my mid 20s? Like, where <laughs> were you then? You know, um, but she, you know, she was so wise about it. And she was like, look, you know, it's like if, if you're dating somebody for their potential, mm-hmm. you know, you're giving them all of yourself based on something that they haven't realized yet and may never realize, you know, and and when you meet somebody who thinks enough of themselves and who takes themselves seriously enough that they are not living off their potential, but living off their action. Like that's the kind of person that you want to be with, you know? And I thought about that and I was like, damn, you know, because I, I have never, I have never said I deserve this, you know, like I, I deserve better. I want better. I need better. You know? Oh baby, you deserve such a high bar. So little. (laughs) Well, and it's funny too, because the, the boundaries thing is powerful and, and I realized yeah. why I, while I had failed to do this in a lot of ways and in a lot of areas of my life, mm-hmm. I have gotten pretty good at this when it comes to parenting. So my son even brought this up to me the other day. We were having a discussion about one of his friends who's, while welcome in my home and, and welcome to come hang out, is, is just a little more problematic than most of his friends and is just mm-hmm. a kid that I keep an eye on because I have some concerns and so right. my my son was pushing back a little on some of my rules because this friend is, can do stuff that, that my kid can't. And he and I mm-hmm. finally said, well, sometimes you just have to realize you're being parented differently and that's just your reality. Like these, this is my limit as a parent. This is my boundary and you're stuck in my box. 
And he mm-hmm. said, well, his mom isn't like that at all. She's a friend. And then he looked at me and he uh-huh. goes, but you're, you're like a parent mom. You're not a friend mom. And then mm-hmm. later he said, and I kind of love that. So thanks. And I was like, win, Aww. super win, parenting well, for the win. That is a win. <laughs> and, is a win. You know, and I figured I had done a pretty good job with him. Because I do tell him yeah. all the time, like, I know I'm not a perfect parent. Like, I'm still figuring this out. Uh, but for mm-hmm. Mother's Day one year, he gave me a coffee mug that said, world's most okayest mom. Like, not, <laughs> not world's best mom, not, like, number one mom. is world's most right. okayest mom. And it is, like, the best mm-hmm. parenting present I was ever given in my whole life. Um, and so I, I think I'm able to draw boundaries in some areas that are really important. And I just have to yeah. get better. Well, with parenting. Yeah. Yeah. With parenting. Know. And maybe that's where we can both start. Right. Because the thing is that you, you, you do the boundaries with the kids because the kids need that, right. you know, they need to know that there are things that they can do their thing. And the thing is like this whole, it's okay. It's not okay thing. Mm-hmm. Like with my parenting, I've never had a problem with that, you know? And, and my kids, honestly, like, they're so good. Yeah. Like I hardly ever have to like seriously discipline these kids. They're just good kids. You know, from the beginning, I've made it clear what's okay, what's not okay, mm-hmm. what is acceptable, what is unacceptable. And they have lived within those boundaries, you know, without any problem at all, which has almost been creepy. You yeah. Know, it's and almost like, they love you. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And so like yeah. I I realized even it and I'm a better parent now that my son is a teenager mm-hmm. than I was when he was really young mm-hmm. because I always yeah. felt like I mm-hmm. had to make up for the fact that his dad wasn't around. And so I caught myself, Mm -hmm. you know, buying too many toys or letting too many Mm -hmm. rules slide. And and I finally realized, you know what, this kid's going to love me even when I make him walk the line. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. That's my job. (laughs) So right. Well, that's the thing with the kids, though, like, I'm not worried about them loving me because I know that what they need from me like they don't have to love me, they don't have to like me. Right. They they have to have these things. That's you right. know, like I don't and and so I think that, you know, and now it's it's interesting though, because I was talking about like I never do these boundaries, I never have these expectations, mm-hmm. you know. Um and uh and but with the kids, like I I, I have. Yeah. I do. Me too. You know, without even really thinking about it. Because it's not about me, it's about them. Right. It's not about what's good for me, it's about what's good for them. Right. So, and when it's about what's good for somebody else, then I can do it. <laughs> so you just have to apply the exact same framework to yourself. What do you need and what's good for you? Yeah. And and I say that to you. Yeah. I have to do it too. <laughs> so um, Yeah, right. So what is your strong challenge? What did you resist? Oh, God, all of it. I resisted the whole thing. <laughs> Have you ever walked a dog that didn't want to go yes. and you're like dragging it along? Like, I am the dog. I am the dog in this scenario. <laughs> so, I mean, like, there's the boundaries, you know, like, honestly, boundaries is the big thing for me this week because it's the thing that I realize has to happen. And it's the thing that I resist horribly because who's going to want to? you know, who's going to, who's going to want me, you know, oh, if, if I say, everyone, uh, you can't, you know, <laughs> Oh God, I don't, I can't even. So, uh, so I don't know, like, I, I don't know how to, how to say these are the things that I demand for myself, that mm-hmm. these are the things that I, um, 
I deserve and should have. Um, but I know that I should think those things. I should be thinking in that. So I think that like, you know, th- this whole idea of what is okay and what is not okay. Mm-hmm. I resist that. I resist that a great deal. But, uh, but anyway, so like I, the, the whole what's okay, what's not okay, you know, list is, is I can't imagine ever writing something like that and saying like, these are the things that, you know, you cannot do um, because everybody can take advantage of me, whatever. I will say yes, whenever humanly possible. Uh, so you your yes know, is going to be a really interesting you discussion. You just know you're asking for a homework assignment right there. Like, <laughs> I know you fully walked into Which that one. Which is good. <laughs> Which is good because I'm going to need you to assign me. I didn't really come up with anything good for my yes this week. Oh, so that'll be yeah, interesting. you just right, did. So let's get to your strong challenge. Let's talk about you a little bit, well, Dr. Jones. I feel like we have talked about me this whole episode. Like, this is this is ridiculous. That's I feel like I true. need to go back to the beginning. You a therapy session with <gasps> me for like 30 minutes. <laughs> like, I need to go back to the beginning and apologize and be like, y'all know that woman that kind of had personality and a sense of humor for the first few episodes? She's not here tonight. <laughs> It's not going to oh, be that way. You do. <laughs> but I wrote, oh my God, we are so awful to I ourselves. Know. People must be getting so we, sick of this. We are. It's terrible. Right? That I wrote. We are horrendous. <laughs> Besides yeah. strong challenging, I wrote the entire fucking chapter. Can I resist <laughs> the entire fucking chapter? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Okay. Um, but I did think, like, I did get to a point where I was just disgusted with the whole process and with, you uh-huh. know, Dr. Brown 2.0 and with, you know, loving yeah. everyone and loving myself. And finally, I was like, you know what? Screw it. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> what is the point of rumbling <laughs> with all these emotions? Um, charged emotions are bad for me. They lead to recklessness and mm-hmm. pain. And I've been reckless and hurt enough. And I wrote that down. So, I, you know, damn it, I yeah. want points because I wrote the words. <laughs> Good for you. Good for you. And so you get points. You get a cookie, baby. Yeah, I get a cookie. So that (laughs) immediately bled over into my yes for this week. And so my chat, my yes, my homework is going to be challenging everything that I just said (laughs) because (laughs) that's how I'm feeling right now. But it's not how I want to live. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I want to get to know myself as the person that I am now and not the person mm-hmm. who struggled in survival mode for so long. And yeah. I do want to, in, to in continue to feel a little lighter and a little happier, mm-hmm. you know, all the time. Mm-hmm. And so Good. I, I'm going to have to go back and challenge pretty much everything I said <laughs> this week. So that's kind of my <laughs> homework is to push back yeah. on that initial reaction. Uh-huh. Right. So, well, because the thing that you're resisting, you know, and we've, we've done this so much and so many people, you know, who are listening and who have gotten in touch have said this exact same thing that Mm -hmm. if I'm resisting it, it's because I need it. If I'm resisting it, it's because it's what I should do. And so I think like, you know, my homework obviously should be writing the list of what is okay and what is not okay, because I hate that. I think that's a fantastic (laughs) homework assignment. And I'm going to write it in the good, nice journal. Good. The crappy journal I'm going to save for writing like the crappy stuff, but Mm -hmm. I'm going to like write down my boundaries. You know, what is it that, and I, and honestly, as I'm thinking of this, I'm like, my mind is completely blank. Like what, what am I not willing to accept from people? What am I not willing 
you know? So start simple. I mean, you are a woman yeah. who values honesty. Therefore, mm-hmm. you will not accept lies. Start yes. there. Mm-hmm. Just, mm-hmm. Make two okay. col- just make two columns. It is okay to it tell me the okay truth. It is not okay to lie to me. It is not okay mm-hmm. to lie to me. Yeah. There you go. You have your first boundary. Oh, <laughs> uh, thank you so That's much. That's how it works. I mean. Thank you. Yeah. So I'm, and I'm, no, not, I'm not joking. I'm serious. Yeah. No, no. I mean, I think that you're right. And it helps to have like an example of the kind of thing that I can write down. So I got to start thinking about that mm-hmm. and uh, and just figuring it out because yeah. I'm just, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. It's okay. Neither do I. <laughs> All right. Apologies well, on that to note. everyone that's listening. <laughs> 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 this is... This is like truly, truly the blind leading the blind. It is yeah. actually, and, I think probably the blind leading the sighted. I imagine the people who are listening. Oh, yeah, are like, probably much better at this than we are. Better than we <laughs> yeah. Well, and I would say, oh, mm-hmm. next chapter will be easier. But you know what? We're not even going to pretend. It's no, not going to be the, the title case. alone. The brave and broken hearted. That is the thing that kicked my ass when it was just a line in the first chapter. But you can say it out loud now. You can I say can't it. without starting to cry. Yeah. So I guess that's progress. That is progress. So we'll see how I do next that's week. Right. We'll see how I do next week. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so I think that now is an appropriate time for us to get to our closing quote, yep. which it's my turn this week to uh, to do that. And um, I picked one from Kristen Neff, author of Self-Compassion, Stop Beating Yourself Up and Leave Insecurity Behind, which is the worst. I mean, can we agree that's the worst book title? Oh, it's a terrible title. Like ever. Yeah. It's a good but book. But now I'm being judgmental. So yeah. obviously I'm lacking compassion. It's, so probably you know, <laughs> it's it. a really, it's actually a good book. And, and no, she is really good. I like Kristen now. And she actually um, teaches a class with Brene Brown and I think they've written together. And yeah. it, it is, mm-hmm. it's one of those books that took me probably five times to, to start. And it, yeah. it's a good, there's some good stuff in there, but it's a bad title. <laughs> It's a terrible title. I think she deserves... You know what? Kristen Neff should have boundaries on her title. She deserves a better title than that. She deserves a better title than that. <laughs> I can write boundaries for Kristen Neff. Can I do... Okay. Fine, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So here is the quote. Painful feelings are, by their very nature, temporary. They will weaken over time as long as we don't prolong or amplify them through resistance or avoidance. The only way to eventually free ourselves from debilitating pain, therefore, is to be with it as it is. The only way out is through. Big Strong Yes is a Chipperish Media production and is entirely funded by listeners like you. To find out how you can support Big Strong Yes and everything Chipperish Media does, visit patreon.com slash chipperish. Thanks, y'all. <laughs>